Tim Chang was born in 1991 and proudly admits to knowing nothing about anything that happened before 2003. Sheltered, innocent, and unaware, this is one man's attempt to show Tim Chang the wonders of the world around him. This is The Education of Tim Chang with your host, Josh Simpson. Hello and welcome to The Education of Tim Chang. I am Josh Simpson. And I'm Tim Chang. And today we have a very special guest, uh, Mr. Joel Church Cooper. Hey, everybody. How are you doing, Joel? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, Joel is a writer on Up All Night. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, anything else you want me to plug? Um, my Twitter. Your Twitter? I'm trying to get back into it now that we have some downtime from the show. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're, okay, the Twitter's coming back? The Twitter's coming back, guys. It's when I'm, when I'm working on the show, it's tough for me to give away jokes for free. Because uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, I should be saving this for my employers. But when I'm not getting paid... I just give it away. Just jokes. Once just, a day. Just a font. Just a fun kind of, you know, media criticism, but still in a fun kind of way. Sure, sure, That's sure. my Twitter. And what's it called? Church Cooper? It's Church Cooper. Okay. At Church Cooper. No hyphen. No hyphen. In that. But in real life, yes. Hyphen. In real life, hyphen. Okay. Uh, Tim, how you been, man? It's been a while. I'm doing well. Had a great Thanksgiving. Did you guys have a great Thanksgiving? I had a great Thanksgiving, yep. Stayed here. Joel? Yeah, it's pretty good. We always stay in LA. We don't travel anymore, which is always nice. I enjoy that immensely. What'd you do for Thanksgiving, Tim Chang? Uh, I showed up late to my Thanksgiving dinner. No kidding. Yeah. You showed up late to your every podcast so far. <laughs> uh, I always show up late to like everything. I don't know. It's just a weird thing. She's got a, you know, Vince Lombardi sets his clock 15 minutes ahead. Uh, is it because, yeah, is it because you underestimate the time it will take to get you there? Yes, because I'm like, oh, I I think I'll I'll make it. Like, I know that I know how to get there. I know so how always, fast I go. You always plan for like the best case scenario. Oh, I've gotten there once in 15 minutes. Yes. Therefore, I'll give myself 15 minutes. But then you think to leave 15 minutes ahead of time, so you actually leave like with 12 minutes to go, meaning you're 10 <laughs> minutes late. Yeah, sometimes even nine. Thank okay. you, Nate. <laughs> I actually, it's funny this should come up because I. My car, uh, since the last time we were on, this, on these microphones, my car has a really stupid problem, just an insanely stupid problem, where uh, Chevrolet uh, made a security system within the key of my car, my 2001 Chevy Malibu, that uh, it is possible to, for that key not to sync up with a security system in the car for my actual key to lock my car down. <laughs> Like to wow. set up the security system in my car, so I just can't do anything. So I was stuck in a Rite Aid. I got towed someplace, uh, 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 and they're like, "Well, we fi- we fixed it for now, but you're gonna have to take it to the dealership." It was like five hundred, eight hundred bucks. Anyway, there's, I looked online, or my, rather, my dad looked online because <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, he got really into it, and he found out that there's a way to fix it. You can like turn the key into the on switch. Like you have to like get out of the car and just like walk away for like twelve minutes, <laughs> and you can if you leave it in the on switch, it'll like like uh, turn off. I guess uh-huh. it'll like disable that security thing, and then you can just start your car again. So I can either get my car, I can either get this problem fixed for about five hundred to eight hundred dollars. <laughs> Or, like, I can just know that I might have to wait ten minutes before I go anywhere. <laughs> so, so I've been having to like put. I've been early lately because <laughs> I've had to. Well, that's okay. good. Yeah, so I've kind of like uh, you know the universe has made me early for stuff. That's good. So there we go. Hopefully, my car has a weird. Don't <laughs> no, you 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 still can learn, Tim. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, today. Uh, um, uh, we're going to be introducing you, Tim Chang, to 
Doctor Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the The Bomb. The, the Bomb. Uh, uh, so I, it's as if I said nothing to him. Uh, <laughs> or <laughs> have you heard? Have you probably heard of it? Yeah, I feel like it, uh, the first thing that came to my mind was: is it like the James Bond villain? But then I was like, it can't be. Because it's, it's is it something related to like spies, strange love? Uh, yeah, it's it's you know it's uh it's from that time. It's from the '60s, and it is about military action. So mm-hmm. it's sort of like spies. Yeah, I think he might have like I think he. What are you picturing in your mind's eye? Um, like uh, okay, so strange love is a guy who wears like a white hat, hmm. and he may have like glasses. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> yeah, you're just making it up. Uh, uh, so, so it's a Stanley Kubrick movie. Cool. Do you know who Stanley Kubrick is? <laughs> nope. Okay. <laughs> I don't know who that guy is. Okay. Let's see. What we could. We could. We could maybe get something out of him here. Do you know about? Do you know what the Cold War is? Yeah, the Cold War. Okay. Do you know what the Cuban Missile Crisis is? Yes, I know the Cuban okay. Missile Crisis. Explain the Cuban Missile Crisis. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's see if I can get my history right. So the Cuban Missile Crisis is when we... Uh, some of the, all right, so JFK was basically like he cut off like uh, trades with them, with, with Cuba, right, or something like that, or... Um, <laughs> I wish you, I could you were really it. You were really close a little bit. I he know. Did, he did do a blockade of yeah. Cuba. Yeah, um, but not for a trade reason, because because the, they, they had missiles, right? Or they were the Russians were putting nuclear uh, missiles mm-hmm. in Cuba that Over. could reach the entire East Coast. Yeah, uh, yeah. So then he mm-hmm. did a blockade of Cuba to stop uh, the ships from giving more nuclear material, more missiles. But they already had, had some there. Mm-hmm. And they possibly could have launched the one they already had, or they could have launched the ones they had in Europe, uh, probably mostly just to kill Europe, but maybe one could reach the United States. And we also could have preemptively launched on them, taking it as an act of aggression that could lead to a nuclear war. So this movie <clears throat> is kind of about that tension that was in that moment. And it was, it was made right around the same time, 1963. Mm-hmm. So it's right when... Uh, the United States and uh, USSR were at the brink of uh, world annihilation. Yeah, that's why it's called the Cold War because they never really it, directly it never, exchanged. Yes, it never, but but it was uh, simmering for a long time, but it never actually got hot, uh, and that was the closest it came. And this movie's kind of about the paranoia and uh, uh, the circumstances that would cause the world to end. Uh, in that time. Yeah. But, Tim Chang, the reason we're going to watch it is it's a comedy. Oh, I was about to ask, like, is this, it sounds like a drama. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> uh, no, it's a comedy. It's a, uh, and it's probably, you know, when they do lists of, like, best comedies of all time, it's always, like, not even, like, top ten. It's probably, like, top five. Most people consider it one of the most influential comedies of all time. Mm-hmm. Stars Peter Sellers. You know Peter cool, Sellers. Cool is? dude. No, I don't know. Peter Sellers. Uh, <laughs> Peter Sellers was, uh, you know, probably considered the best um, sort of character comedian of the maybe 20th century. Maybe. Yeah. Up He's there. Been a bunch of stuff. He was in he, the Pink Panther. He was. He was. Oh, yeah. He was in Clouseau. the Pink. He was a Spectre Clouseau in the Pink Panther. This is probably along the Pink Panther. He's most known for. He plays three different parts. 
you know, it's uh, like the Eddie Murphy of this movie. Yes, Eddie Murphy in the Clumps and all, and, and Nutty Professor, or in Coming to America, he's ripping off, not ripping off, but it's a thing that Peter Sellers started of playing multiple characters in the same movie with different with different makeup and different accents, uh, mm. but the same kind of range that Eddie Murphy has. You've seen Eddie Murphy movies, right? You seen Coming to America? I've seen Doctor Doolittle. Okay. You seen the Clumps, Nutty Professor? Uh. Uh-uh. Sh- that's shocking. That to is me. shocking to me. <laughs> I mean, I've heard of Nutty. Well, Nutty Professor. That's uh, which one? That was that, that was not the one where we talked to animals. That's Doolittle. no. That's Doctor Doolittle. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh wait, wait. If you haven't seen the clumps, and then, yeah, yeah, and then he got real skinny and he was really cool. Yeah, yeah, I remember okay. that. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> the kind of range that Eddie Murphy. <laughs> Sorry, I, I just no. Now I know. I know what we're dealing with. Yeah, yeah. If Eddie Murphy's <laughs> off the table, then we're really there. We're really in the deep end here in terms of cultural reference points. Yeah. Because um, yeah. it's like. It's, 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 I thought for sure he's the like the Michael Jackson it. of comedy. Like everybody liked him. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. So yeah, we're not getting anywhere, Peter Sellers, but he's a very well respected uh, English actor. Yeah. Yeah. He was uh, like uh, he being was, there. What's one of my favorite? Being movies there is in? very good. He was in a, a very influential uh, radio group. Kind of the first. Some you know who Monty Python is right. Yeah, Mon- I know Mon- Monty uh, Python. Right is like the patron saint of weird British comedy. There was a radio show called The Goons, which was the ones that inspired Monty Python, and Peter Sellers came from that. Was, oh, cool. I didn't know that. So he's like, his influence in British comedy is, is pretty big. And then, you know, British comedy, you know, influences the stuff we do at UCB, mm-hmm. you know, pretty immensely. So and in just in America in general. Yeah, yeah. The so office for sure. isn't a perfect example of that. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Um, okay. So I feel like, yeah, we should give him a little bit of on, on uh, Cuba. Kubrick. I always pronounce it incorrectly. Um, yeah, so Stanley Kubrick. So the reason I chose this movie is because, one, it's one of my favorites. I like it. I'm a big history person. Uh, I, you know, I, I really like studying in school, and uh, I took a lot of classes in college, even though I was a, as a film major. And then I went to UC Santa Barbara, and they have a film studies program, not a film production program, meaning that I did a lot of film history stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, but even as a kid, I always liked old movies and stuff. And so, so the, my, the mixture of history, mixture of loving absurdist comedy, um, means I, as a kid, I really liked this movie. And I really liked Kubrick growing up as well. He was my favorite director, still is. Um, and so I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's something that if you consider yourself, you know, a person who's interested in comedy, you got to see the movie at least once. Form an opinion on it. See what it's doing. So that's why I picked it. Mm-hmm. But uh, the reasons I love it so much is, uh, you know, I'm a huge Kubrick fan, like I was saying, and... I feel like, you know, if you consider uh, film the most important art form of the 20th century, you know, mm-hmm. which I think it probably was, then he's maybe the most important filmmaker, therefore maybe the most important artist, him and, you know, Picasso, different forms, different reasons. You know, the movies he made, Paths of War, The Killing is great, the early stuff, um, Lolita, great. I'm just going to blow past yeah. Chang on this. For just, uh, there's no, no recognition. Um, you could there. He made only like you know ten movies. Everyone is pretty much considered a classic. Uh, a lot of times he was way ahead of the cultural curve. Um, took a while to people even like you know people who thought about film, film theorists, film critics to catch up to what he was doing. And I think his stuff really holds up because of you know the attention to detail. The years of research he put in. There's just a lot to to 
appreciate about it. Mm. Um, I would say he isn't the funniest guy. So why this is a successful comedy is mainly he just let uh, he let Peter Sellers kind of run wild, and he knew when he had something that was good. So a lot of Peter Sellers' dialogue is improvised. So as an improviser, uh, I think you should appreciate it's some of the best improv caught on film that you'll see yeah. outside of a Apatow movie, which yeah, it's much better than that. All right, cool. Got some good expectations then. <laughs> oh, that might be problematic. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so you it's a it's a pretty much a did we say that it was first based on that book Red Alert or no whatever? no no we, I guess we haven't gotten into that yeah so so another key I think to understanding for you and Tim and anyone else out there who hasn't seen it yet you know at the time the movie was made it really looked like nuclear apocalypse was possible possible a strong possibility where mm-hmm. not only uh, you know the life your life may end but l- the species might end. Uh, and so a lot of stuff was being written about it, and it seemed crazy, right? That this, how could we be getting, neither one of us want to end the world, but we might end the world. How is that going to happen? So uh, he was wanting to do a, you know, because he's a filmmaker with his uh, finger on the pulse of what's going on, and he was like, this seems like something I should talk about, how species might end. So he was going to do a serious drama about it. Uh, and you'll see elements of that. There's, it's very procedural, step-by-step, step, how you would get to a nuclear apocalypse in a way that seems, you know, sort of plausible um so he's doing all this research on the movie and then early on he realized this is ridiculous this is a uh how to how a bunch of you know people who think they're rational mm-hmm. could make a series of decisions that ends in complete annihilation of an entire species it's it's stupid yeah and it's really darkly comic uh and so then he wrote it as a comedy and so that's what's sort of interesting about it is that there's really absurdist stuff that has elements of truth, and there's really truthful stuff that's completely absurd, and it's all kind of mixed together. Um, but some warnings, Tim Chang, it's in black and white. Oh, man. <laughs> Legitimately <laughs> bummed. He's so bummed right now. <laughs> the light faded from his eyes so quickly. I, he was sort of on board, and now and now I, I can tell he's immediately not. I mean, they, they had color back then, right? Um, they, they, did they did have color back back then but people were more used to black and white and sort of like now you know the reason that Schindler's List is in black and white which I'm sure you haven't seen but maybe have heard of mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> is because people associate it with newsreel do you know what newsreels are? Um, they're like well, you before you used to watch news on TV you used to go to movie theater because before there's television and they would show you like this is the news of the day oh, you know okay. and they would show it in black and white so people at the time, and even now a little bit, associate black and white with maybe more truthful, like, you know, like it's the news, like mm-hmm. it's actually happening. So that's sort of why he shot in black and white. But if he would have known, it would have turned you off so much. I think maybe he might have had second thoughts. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but just, you know, I would say you're probably not going to like it. But <laughs> I there, think that's a very fair guess. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say it's important historical document of what it was like going through the times. Yeah. It's very funny. There's probably, you know, uh, to go back to UCB, where we all, have, you know, trained, there's very funny games in a lot of different scenes, good sketches, good improv. Um, there's also scenes that aren't funny. <laughs> yeah. Because it's sort some, of... Some of the actors don't even know it's a comedy, right? Some, a lot of the actors don't know they're in a comedy, and so they're just <laughs> doing lines straight, mm-hmm. and then yeah. people are kind of absurd around them. So, you know, 
So I'm not going to say it's laugh out loud throughout, but I do think as a person who, you know, as a comedian who likes comedy, you will be able to see some great bits. Yeah, okay. I think so too. Uh, cool. So all I ask of you, Tim Chang, is just to keep an open mind about yeah, it. Yeah. Don't write it off for looking old. We're going to try <laughs> to have you come to some actual... We're going to make you uh, process this and come to some actual conclusions for yourself on this, okay? Sure. You good? Any yeah. thoughts? You excited? Um, I mean, yeah, I mean... The way you describe the movie, it sounds like it's going to be pretty good. I'm, I'm not going to be superficial about it. I'm going to go in with an open mind and uh, just see see if it's good. <laughs> All, All right. right, I'm excited. Cool, let's watch this movie. Okay. Now, General Turgeson, what's going on here? <clears throat> Mr. President, about uh, 35 minutes ago, General Jack Ripper, the commanding general of um, Burpleson Air Force Base, issued an order to the 34 B-52s of his wing, which were airborne at the time, as part of a special exercise we were holding called Operation Dropkick. Now, it appears that the order called for the planes to uh, attack their targets inside Russia. The uh, planes are fully armed with nuclear weapons with an average load of... uh, 40 megatons each. Now, the central display of Russia will indicate the position of the planes. The triangles are their primary targets. The squares are their secondary targets. The aircraft will begin penetrating Russian radar cover within uh, 25 minutes. General Turgidson, I find this very difficult to understand. I was under the impression that I was the only one in authority to order the use of nuclear weapons. Uh, That's right, sir. You are the only person authorized to do so. And although I uh, hate to judge before all the facts are in, it's beginning to look like uh, General Ripper exceeded his authority. It certainly does. Far beyond the point I would have imagined possible. Well, perhaps you're um, forgetting the provisions of Plan R, sir. Plan R? Plan R is an emergency war plan in which a lower echelon commander may order nuclear retaliation after a sneak attack if the normal chain of command has been disrupted. You uh, approved it, sir, you must remember. Uh, Surely you must recall, sir, when Senator Buford made that big hassle about our deterrent lacking credibility? The idea was for Plan R to be a sort of uh, retaliatory safeguard. A safeguard? (laughs) I admit the human element seems to have failed us here. But the idea was to discourage the Ruskies from any hope that they could knock out Washington and yourself, sir, as part of a general sneak attack and escape retaliation because of lack of proper command and control. Well, I assume then that the planes will return automatically once they reach their fail-safe points. Well, no, sir, I'm afraid not. You see, the planes were holding at their fail-safe points um, when the go code was issued. Now, once they fly beyond fail-safe, they... uh, and they do not require a second order to proceed. They will continue until they reach the target. Then why haven't you radioed the planes countermanding the go code? Well, I'm afraid we're unable to communicate with any of the aircraft. Why? As you may recall, sir, <clears throat> one of the provisions of Plan R provides that once the uh, go code is received, the normal SSB radios in the aircraft are switched into a special coded device, which I believe is designated as CRM-114. Now, in order to prevent the enemy from issuing fake or um, confusing orders, CRM-114 is designed not to receive at all. 
unless the message is preceded by the correct three-letter code group prefix. Then do you mean to tell me, General Turgidson, that you will be unable to recall the aircraft? That's about silence. However, we are plowing through every possible three-letter combination of the code. But since there are uh, 17,000 permutations, um, it's going to take us about two and a half days to transmit them all. <clears throat> How soon did you say the planes would penetrate Russian radar cover? About 18 minutes from now, sir. So we just watched Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Tim Chang. Yeah. What are your overall thoughts? Overall thoughts? I, I thought it was pretty entertaining. Yeah? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Um, I mean, not like Oscar-worthy, but it was, you know, it was still fun to watch. Um, what would you consider to be an Oscar-worthy movie? Um, maybe like... <laughs> Gosh, well... Or what are your favorite movies? Yeah, let's compare this movie to a movie that, you know, isn't just a funny comedy, something you enjoy, but something that you thought spoke to a bigger point that you really enjoyed maybe more than this movie. Seriously? All right. Seriously, yeah. All right. Um, I, think, I think The Dark Knight Rises should definitely be at least nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> I thought that movie was, like, one of the best. I, I, it's my new favorite movie now. Yeah, and I, and I really like it. <laughs> what was your What was your old favorite movie before uh, Dark Knight Rises? I know the answer to this, and I, I'm going to revel in this. Please, uh, my old favorite movie was Spider Man Two. <laughs> <laughs> I know they both happen to be comic book like movies. No, they're you know I would I would the Dark Spider Man Two is one of the better comic movies that that exists. Yeah. When we were in New York together for Del Close, Tim Chang was just pointing at stuff, being like, "That's the newspaper building from Dark, uh, Spider-Man Two. That is where like is, New York was basically a Spider-Man Two set tour." For Tim Chang. <laughs> I recognized it. It was one of my favorite movies. How Love many it. times have you seen Spider-Man Two? A lot. I have a DVD. Sometimes and, and you just pop it in. Yeah, sometimes like if I'm doing work or something, I'll just kind of put it in there just to listen to it in the background. Nice. So, okay, so what are the what are the themes in like Dark Knight Rises that resonated to you on like a philosophical level that makes you that that's why it's more than just like an entertaining movie movie that resonated with you? I mean, it kind of I think if you saw a movie it's like the guy was old and he was trying to figure out, you know, is there anything left for me to like to go on for? Um, you talking? You need to be more specific. Than the guy. Uh, you mean? You mean Batman? Batman? Okay. Batman, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, so good. I assume you guys just know what I'm talking about. Right, right, right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Bruce Wayne was, you know, just wondering, like, okay, like, where do I go from here? Like, I've crime is all gone. Um, and obviously there's still that secret. Oh, I don't know. People have seen it, right? We can spoil yeah, yeah, it. yeah, yeah. We're all gonna right. spoil the Dark Knight Rises if you haven't seen it. <laughs> Great, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, Bruce Wayne dies. No, no, um, he doesn't die. No, no. So I mean, like now that crime's all gone and things are, I guess, settled, you know, he he can't. Where's his happiness? Like he he lost Rachel and uh, and now crime's gone. So what what's left for him? So I guess when like um, it wasn't just that, right? It was that he had been vilified, right, in Gotham City from the second movie. Right, right. That he had uh, made himself uh, the villain. So that uh, so yeah. that so that Gotham could survive, you know, on a lie. I think is what their movie's going for. Yeah, but I don't think he minded that much because, like, he he said like Batman can be anything. So I don't think he cared too much about that. I think it was more like because he lost Rachel, so he can't ever be happy. And also, there's no crime around, so now he can't 
really do anything. So what's what is there left for for Batman? And he was just an old guy. Yeah, and so like that's why when he did go back in the suit, he didn't mind getting killed because that's actually something that he wanted because it's like, well, at least now I don't have to suffer anymore from what's going on because I can just get myself killed. And that's why Albert was or Alfred was like, no, I'm afraid you want to go out there and get yourself killed by Bane. Okay, so you like that whole, you like that Batman had nothing to lose. He's yeah, like almost and a that, suicidal maniac. Yeah, well, not a suicidal maniac, but like. <laughs> He still retained his sense of justice, and uh, he was still, he, he was just, I guess he was empty, you know, and then, like, he realized, like, no, like, my city's in trouble, like, these people that I care about, I mean, from the very beginning, he wanted to protect the city because, you know, the city t- kind of took away his parents, so then he, I guess he rose, he came up from, I guess, <laughs> the, you know, you know what I'm trying, it sounds so, was... like, cheesy, but, you know. No, I, I understand the one part. You know, I had problems with Dark Knight Rises. You know, I think it's the weakest of the three. Sorry, Tim Chang. <laughs> oh, I did too, actually. But, I'll, but yeah. I'll say that the one thing it did make a point is that you can't, um, you know, you can't leave the world behind and expect it to come out better. You know, yeah. even if you think you did enough the first time around, you have to constantly stay engaged in the world uh, in order to to have any effect on it. And so he leaves, and then him leaving is what allows all this sort of stuff to come into it. I think, philosophically, I think there's a lot of mixed messages in there, and there's some points it kind of tries to make, but then kind of cops out on. And then I think Bane is a pretty weak villain. I think... uh, It's also the same exact movie as Avengers. (laughs) I didn't see Avengers. (laughs) Well, the ending is exactly the same. Uh, Sorry. Oh, and that, like, <laughs> he sacrificed. I mean, just but, like the Tesseract, the whole idea is like, uh, anyway. I saw them, like, literally, like, a week apart, and I was like, where have I seen this before? Yeah, but it's also the same ending as Wreck It Ralph. It's also the same <laughs> ending as Iron Giant. You know, it's also, you know, most hero, a lot of hero stories end with a moment of sacrifice, which then they are redeemed by, and then they, you know, resurrect in another way. That's sort of what a lot of hero stories do. Jesus. Jesus was a hero. He's he's the original superhero, really. <laughs> uh, no, he's not. I think the original superhero is uh, what? Right, one of the Greek people, Homer. Right, I'm looking at the wrong two guys. Odyssey. <laughs> the Odyssey is the original adventure story, and I'm sure he sacrificed himself at some point. I didn't read that one. That's the next one, Tim Chang. We're gonna make you read the Odyssey. <laughs> I didn't read that one actually. Hey, I saw, I saw, the, I saw the movie back in high school. Oh, you saw the movie. <laughs> yeah. Did you read it? I uh, read some of it and I forgot. Cliff Notes? Cliff Notes yeah. probably? Sparknotes.com. I can't even really give you shit about that because I haven't seen it. Or read it. Um, uh, here's, here's, okay, so, so far we've talked a lot about The Dark Knight Rises for yeah. a Doctor Strange Love <laughs> podcast, <laughs> which is fine, but I, wa- I wanted to sort of hear what resonated with Tim because I'll tell you what resonates with me about Doctor Strange Love and the reason I like it. Yeah. Is I like... Well, actually, let Tim go first. Okay. What did you like, what did you pick up from the movie that sort of, you know, that stuck with you more than the jokes, which were funny jokes. But mm. anything like sort of what the movie was trying to say. What do you think the movie yeah. was trying to say to you? From what I got from it, and I might have to watch it again just to kind of like double check my thoughts. Um, one thing I think um, kind of stuck out to me was, I guess, some quote unquote patriots. Like these pro-America guys who are just like, you know... Like that, with that general guy really stuck out to me. Uh, the guy's like, hey, he's, he's a bunch of, he's commies, he's a commie guy. Like, he doesn't know 
He's just trying to like go after us. General, General Buck Rip- Ripper or General not, not Buck Churgison? Yeah, the one in the yeah. war room the whole time. Yeah, trying yeah. To, like mm-hmm. get that Russian guy. Like that guy really stuck out to me because it's like, yeah, there's some people like that in like right now, like mm-hmm. who are like who think Obama's like a Muslim and is afraid that we're going to turn into like a socialist state and stuff like that. You know, like that kind of stuck out to me. It's like, oh, well, like I guess that happened back then. And it's still going on now, which is kind of sad. That's a very good point, Tim Chang. Yeah. <laughs> that is the ah, I'm smart guy. I would say more General Ripper was is the guy that like would be equated to the Obama socialist guys. I, I, I think both could be, and I, and the one thing I don't know if, if you know this, uh, Josh or you Tim, but the whole thing, right? So General Ripper, he's the guy who initiates. Spoiler alert: the apocalypse really on planet Earth in this <laughs> movie, and he does so because of an obsession with his precious bodily fluids. Come on, Drake. Yes, Dad. Have you ever seen a commie drink a glass of water? Well, yeah, I, I can't say I have, Jack. <laughs> Vodka. That's what they drink, isn't it? Never water? Well, I, I believe that's what they drink, Jack, yes. On no account will a commie ever drink water, and not without good reason. Oh, uh, yes. I, um, can't quite... See what you're getting at, Jack. Water. That's what I'm getting at, water. Mandrake, water is the source of all life. Seven-tenths of this Earth's surface is water. Why do you realize that... 70% of you is water? Oh, God. And as human beings, you and I need fresh, pure water to replenish our precious bodily fluids. Yes. Are you beginning to understand? Yes. <laughs> Mandrake. <laughs> Mandrake, have you never wondered why I drink only distilled water or rainwater and only pure grain alcohol? Well, it, it, it did occur to me, Jack, yes. Have you ever heard of a thing called fluoridation? Fluoridation of water? Uh, yes, I, I have heard of that, Jack, yes. Yes. Well, do you know what it is? No. no I, I don't know what it is now. Do you realize that fluoridation is the most monstrously conceived and dangerous communist plot we have ever had to face? Do you guys know what fluoridation of water is? I did not know what that... No, I don't know what that means. Okay, it means... Uh, putting fluoride, you know, like when you go to the dentist, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there was a movement uh, in like the 50s yeah. to just put fluoride in everything because it would prevent tooth decay. Yeah, and yeah. they uh, did it, right? Uh, they do it, yeah. And so, some some people put a little bit, I mean, it depends on the region, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I, some people do, yeah. So there's, there's fluoride in a lot, like a lot of stuff. But people did think at the time the movie was made that it was a communist conspiracy. You know? Oh, so that wasn't just totally pulled out of the ass? No, no. That's wow. it heightened it. It heightened it to a degree that he was going to start a nuclear war about it. Uh-huh. But that was when people there would be, um, there would be like you know protests when you know rural South areas would try to get their water or Florida when you people who would need maybe wouldn't have the best health care would need fluoride and water they would throw big shit fits because they were like. Because the argument you'd make against fluoridation of water is the same argument you make against Obamacare. You can't tell me 
what to do with my body or my life. I decide that. Mm-hmm. I, if my teeth rot, that's freedom. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, but you're right. So you're right, Tim. That kind of you know, uh, that you know, blindly you know, quote unquote patriotic attitude against you know, in seeing conspiracies everywhere that still exists in this country is in the display in the movie and is mocked. These characters are ridiculous, you know. Yeah. But there's an element of truth that that still you know is around today. That's funny. I would never, I guess I never thought would have associated fluoridation with fluoride, although it makes total sense. Yeah, but yeah. That in Wisconsin, where I was from, we had fluoride in the water. Yeah. And I also had no cavities growing up. And my, <laughs> both of my parents had many, many cavities growing up. So it was like one of those things where was like, oh, that seems like a good idea. Glad I came along right around this time. And <laughs> Well, I mean, I mean, you could say the same thing with vaccinations, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, vaccinations are a universal good, but there are some people who... You know, they whatever they think it cause autism. There's no scientific backing, but then they scream the loudest in the room, and all of a sudden, now in California and some liberal areas, like mumps and uh, you know, like measles are way way up mm-hmm. because people don't believe in very basic things for the common good, um, and then use their parental power to you know yank their kids out. But yeah, I mean, I think there's undercurrents in that movie that are still going on today, which is why it's you know still I think somewhat relevant. Okay, thought, another thing, Tim. Oh yeah, no, I was gonna. I was going to try to mine him a little yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, keep it going. We're on a roll. Um, another thing I th- also that you brought up earlier off the record um, was, <laughs> I guess, the competition between you know the United States and Russia. Like they're trying to one-up each other. And even in that, that scene where uh, you know he was talking to Dmitry, the president was talking to Dmitry about, like, no, I'm more sorry than you are. And I was like, that, that I thought was really funny. But that's like, um, in a bigger sense, like, yeah, we are kind of like that, trying to like one-up other countries maybe not now though right i mean i don't know if it's the sorry thing but, well, but i mean yeah the that sorry, is a great scene though. yeah yeah well I, yeah i mean but yeah but all of it the missiles and they talk about the five to one missile ratio and then the whole reason the russians create the doomsday machine is because they can't keep up with mm-hmm. our weapons and so they have to do another thing but this competition this competition which even in the end when the world's destroyed and they have a competition over mine shafts you know this uh, this stupid competition, which doesn't get anyone and really negatively affects both countries, but they can't stop themselves. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, but I, I think in a small way, this so, who's sorrier is like they can't even agree on on that on that. Yeah, yeah, which is crazy. Uh, I'm sorry too, Dimitri. I'm very sorry. All right, you're sorrier than I am, but I am sorry as well. I am as sorry as you are, Dimitri. Don't say that you're more sorry than I am, because I'm capable of being just as sorry as you are. So we're both sorry, all right? I like that scene just because it's like the scene in, where the president has to call uh, Premier Kissoff, because it's like, I guess you would have to make that call. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, like, right, right. like, even though it's the, two, the president and the premier, it's like, it's just that awkward moment. Uh, yeah, it just sure. has to happen, <laughs> which I feel like happened a little bit with Obama's reelection with uh, uh, the Israeli prime minister. A little bit, he'd said right, right, right. Netanyahu, who who yeah. would, who would uh, <laughs> campaign against him, essentially had <laughs> to give like, him a congratulations call. Yeah, yeah congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but I, I also like the, the element of like um, you know this is a little deeper than well, maybe the political stuff, but. You know, there's an element of sex in the movie throughout. You know, like yeah, from from the opening. Let's see. I, I, I okay. Want, again, I don't want to give away too much. I want Tim Chang to see. What did you notice? Uh, like sex or sex symbolism throughout the movie? Anything? He said something about the opening. Did you notice anything about that opening? 
the opening. Uh, <laughs> Which literally won't translate to any of our listeners. <laughs> uh, uh, not that disclaimer in the beginning, right? No, no, no. Like the opening credits, the thing with the scene, the what was taking place during the opening credits. Do you remember the airplanes? Yeah, they were like kind of just they were just showing the airplanes like going around mountains or something. I think. I've kind of missed go ahead, Joel. All right, Tim. <laughs> well, the opening is really for you viewers out there who haven't seen the movie or need uh, or viewers, listeners. Uh, need a reminder, the opening is um, shots of B-52s being refueled in the air. And how they do that is they stick out a long, thin rod, and it tries oh. to sort of hover in the air and find the slot. And then when it does, they pump in gasoline. And then when they're connected, they show it in sort of wide shots of them just sort of like bound and connected by this rod as they sort of like bounce up and down in the air. And it's very sexual, you know, which is the sort of the point. It's a... It's... The movie, I think about people trying to be as smart as they can while doing stupid, stupid things. Mm -hmm. And so one of the, you know, one of the sort of underlying themes is how, you know, even when people think they're being very serious, they're they're constantly defined by their own sexual impulses. You know, we the first time we see Buck Turgis and he's he's just fucked his secretary, and yeah. then she gets a call from someone else who she's fucking. You know, um, oh really? I didn't put that. Together. Yeah, she, she she goes, oh hey Freddie. No, I'm just here checking some papers. You know, uh, yeah. uh, and then uh, you know, all, uh, all the way to the oh when we when we meet when the phone call with Premier Kissoff. He's at he's at his mistress's. Yeah, yeah. And drunk and listening to music. He's getting his fuck on. And then the only thing that they can't agree on at the end. Or that the that the Russian ambassador says that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. The only yeah <laughs> is to go down when they go to the mine shafts because the world has been polluted for a hundred years. We can't go above ground. We're going to have to have a ten to one female to male ratio <laughs> yeah. to repopulate the earth, and everyone just gets really excited by the idea. <laughs> you know, all the guys in that room. Yep. Yeah, and then yeah, the only thing they agree on the whole time. Yeah, you're right. Is he says uh, finally and a good idea. You know. <laughs> I find that to be true about human beings, which is that we try to put logic on it. We try to be as smart as we can, but really we're just, we're ruled by our impulses and a lot of them are stupid, instinctual animal. And the most prominent is the sexual impulse. It's a very pessimistic view of humanity, but mm -hmm. um, I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not an optimist about, about human beings. <laughs> Tim, what are your thoughts? Uh, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about human beings. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think uh, that human beings are, are, do you look at something like the Cuban Missile Crisis or, or this movie shows how close we came and does it show you that human beings are basically kind of stupid and the species is doomed or the fact that it didn't happen that maybe there's hope? Um, yeah, I think the fact that it didn't happen gives me hope because it's like people from both countries are like, yeah, we all know what's going to happen if this happens. Like, everyone will be dead. And like, no one... I mean, I guess some people are, but, like, no one who is in the, I guess, like, in a position of leadership is even considering, like, yeah, let's just nuke these guys or something. Like, uh, they, they have to think, like... <laughs> Iran? <laughs> no, I, I don't... No, they don't even have nuclear weapons. Well, they're trying, right? They're trying real hard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think you would like to think that, but, you know, Castro said, they're like, if you... If you had uh, the bomb and you knew you were going to be attacked, would you have done it? And he said, oh, yeah. I would have I let it off. Uh, it's kind of like a just a final, fuck you, I right, guess. Right, right, right. <laughs> and there's something about 
you know, when you're in a position of leadership, I think that the power that it gives you, you know, I think it, you know, it's an itchy trigger finger, I think a little bit. I don't know. I, I think it's dangerous to keep to keep an arsenal like that and expect it someday not to go off. I absolutely agree. I think that's the big thing about, like, probably the big thing about this movie, too, is just like, we have the capability to blow up the world. What would it take to get there? <laughs> Ego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically. <laughs> And, and that's sort of and the, one thing I like about it, too, is, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys, because we're all, you know, trying to do comedy for a living. And, and uh, do you guys ever think about, like, well, does it really matter? You know, absolutely. <laughs> Tim, do you ever think about if comedy actually matters? Um, what, what do you mean? Like, uh, like, does it do good in the world? Does it make the world a better place? Is it, you know, is it like volunteering? It's not like volunteering at a shelter somewhere and mm-hmm. you're, you're actually helping someone. Really, you're just doing bits and you're getting paid for it. It's, mm-hmm. it's our goal. So right. do you ever, does that ever bother you that like you might not do that much good? Yes. Yeah, it does. I mean, the whole reason why I'm doing it, I mean, is because I want to, I would love to make people laugh and, you know, because I know the world sucks and, <laughs> that's it's it's true. The world sucks in some places, and it's like some people have like really shitty days. But you know, if you do comedy, you learn to be funny, and you get to know some of these people. Like, yeah, there's you'll find something funny, and they'll they'll their day might be brightened up just from like a s- small little bit. So and, your ultimate, <laughs> yeah, your ultimate aim is just to be a a worthy distraction. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I mean like, well, you know, yeah, that's yeah. Not, it, I agree that it is something. You know, I work in TV, which. I think if you work in TV, you got to admit that you're basically just taking people's mind off something, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah. I think what this movie shows is, specifically if you're doing satire, you know, if you're doing, you know, kind of incisive satire, you can affect change and the way people think about something. Because I do think that when this movie came out, it was at such a critical sort of point, and it's lasted for such a long time in the cultural conversation, that it did affect some change, that the idea that... People were taking all this sort of nuclear, you know, apocalyptic stuff seriously as if these were our leaders are going for. And this seems like a totally normal idea. This sort of flipped that idea on its head and was like, no, it's such a completely insane idea. And it's comically, laughably insane. And yeah. I think that has affected the sort of the the way we look back on those times. We don't look back on it like, yeah, that, yeah, it totally made all the sense in the world, you know? Yeah. I That's one thing I really liked about the movie was like how they just like, there's basically three settings like there's the airplane there's the war room and then there's what is the guy's name the, there's uh, jack rippers yeah and and what's the what is <laughs> burpleson Peter? air force base and then it's lieutenant what, mandrake mandrake yeah but i feel like like in all three of those rooms like mandrake is just sitting through this lunacy from ripper basically right. he's just like uncomfortably sitting there and just having to listen to this guy <laughs> right right in the hopes of in the hopes of getting that code from him uh, having to listen, go on and on about fluids and all that right. stuff. Uh, in the in the airplane, it's like, like when they get that order and they're like, "What? Like, like code red? What is it? Code R? Whatever? Yeah, uh, ordered R? Whatever." Um, uh, they immediately justify it by being like, "They've torn Washington to pieces. We're gonna get medals of all kinds, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and we're done with this." Uh, like, but those are those real things of like, why do people? <laughs> Why? Do, well, how do soldiers justify going to war? Well, they ultimately have to say like something back home depends on it. Right, right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like you kind of, I don't know. It was kind of just weird to see how people justify or deal with being in those really strange, awkward scenarios. And, and there's something you know, 
I was observing Tim a little bit while I was watching the movie, uh, and I was happy that he laughed a few times. But there are some sequences that I think you, your mind wandered a bit, and I understand. It's the sequences where it's like they're on the plane and they're just going through like the you know security check, you know flip one two, and it's just like fifteen steps. They all do, and, and the camera show they say it, and the camera shows them do it, and they say it, and they shows them do it, and it does get kind of monotonous. Yeah, that's also Tim agrees, right? That kind of yeah. that lost you a little bit. But that's also sort of the point because it's like there are thirty steps for them to do something insane. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and they're doing every single one, and they're doing it monotonously because they've been trained to do it, mm-hmm. and it's their job to do it. Mm-hmm. And once they made the, you know, but there's all these, you know, any safety check, all these, you know, level one, level two, level three of things, you know. They're only as good as the people that are making those decisions. And if these people have been brainwashed into thinking, yeah, let's do it. Then you, you can flip all the switches you want. Uh, they'll eventually get the job done, you know. Mm-hmm. And it goes even so far as when those switches don't work, he rides the the bomb down like a like a rodeo, you know. <laughs> yeah, like that's a cowboy. The, that's like before I'd seen this movie. That was the thing I knew about it, or like that was like the iconic image to yes. me was the guy. Have you, have you had you seen that before? I've uh, I, yeah, I remember that image from somewhere. <laughs> the guy riding on a missile, heading down. It's in the zeitgeist enough for Tim Chang to know about it. <laughs> <laughs> it was parodied on The Simpsons. It's been parodied like a bunch of times. Um, but it is, if you were to, uh, it, you know, that's what Kubrick is great at. I mean, I don't know if you guys, Tim, you noticed, but the cinematography in this movie is incredible. Like the war yeah. room, mm-hmm. uh, how Dr. Strangelove is shot, mm-hmm. certain images. Like he was a, Kubrick was a, uh, the director and, you know, writer was a life photographer. You know, that's how he got his start. And he was, as a kid, he was like 16. Didn't even, I don't even think he graduated high school. Mm-hmm. He was just a visual sort of uh, savant. Mm-hmm. And so it looks great and everything looks great. But, you know, I, I, he doesn't skimp on the ideas at all either, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, so, but when you combine with both, I think it's, oh, going back to the iconography of uh, him riding the bomb down, there's something about that image that no line could do as well, you know? Yeah. If you were going to... Do, Pretty American. Yes. If you were going to do three seconds about the American attitude towards nuclear war in that time, it would be a guy in a cowboy hat riding, riding the bomb down and really excitingly in a masculine gesture as if it's his dick. You yeah. Know? Uh, that's a pretty powerful image. And that's why it's sort of, that's why it's even reached Tim Chang, having never heard of the movie, <laughs> the director, um, you know, because something like that can really stick in the popular imagination when it's that good of an image. What do you think about Peter Sellers? First of all, do you know what parts he played? Uh, Which oh, he played multiple parts, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So who do you think was the guy that played multiple parts? Was he uh, was he the general in the war room? The, was he that one, Peter? Uh, no. You're thinking of wow, I George C. Scott. It's Turgeson. Turgeson. No, that's not him. All right. You uh, really don't know who played multiple parts in this movie? I mean, I was trying to like figure that out, but then they all looked. <laughs> They're all white and they're all <laughs> so it's like So Tim, are, Tim like, are you saying that you can't tell like white like, people apart? Yeah, what's up with them? Joel I, and I look like <laughs> the same and person you. You're at yeah. UCB, you're surrounded by white people constantly. Exactly. When I was and a, they they look exactly like yeah, you. Yeah, when uh, okay, so I interned at UCB like two years ago. Uh, and every time I I, I interned on Thursdays and every time like I meet new people in lines, they're all white. And they usually come to like the same show. So the week after 
They're like, oh, hey, what's up, Tim? And it's like the same white dude. <laughs> like the same like eight white guys that I just like, hey, what's up, guy? <laughs> like, and I just don't remember their names. It's just, yes, what happens? Like, it's the same like back in my high school. Like, uh, it was mainly Hispanic. So, like, of course, if I met, like, met a Hispanic dude, like eight of them, like in one day or something, I wouldn't be able to remember any of their faces at all the next day because they all kind of looked the same. That's the nicest racist thing I've ever heard. <laughs> no, that was, a really, that was a really polite racist thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> and the irony is that the stereotype is that all Asian people look alike. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. It's, it's for everyone. But, you know, at UCB, they're just more, you know, like 20 to 30-something white dudes, you know, watching... Watching improv, I guess. I mean, I can't argue with you there. There's a lot of scraggly beards, which yep, yep. I would have right now. Yep. Josh has. <laughs> uh, if I didn't have an event, I had to shave for. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I can answer your point. All right, well, going back to Peter yeah, Sellers. Yeah. But so that's why I couldn't. Peter tell. Sellers was the English uh, a car- colonel that was with Mandrake. Ripper Mandrake. Oh, the guy with the stash, right? Yeah, he had okay. a stash, and then he was the president. Oh wow! <laughs> they gave him a little bald cap, and, and yeah. he was Doctor Strangelove. He was all three of those characters. And he was supposed to be the cowboy guy, too, I think, yeah, at but, one point. But yeah, the, but he couldn't do the accent, and then he hurt himself, so he couldn't get on the plane. He hurt himself <laughs> trying to ride the bomb, apparently. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. But, uh, yeah, he was Dr. Strangelove, the president, and the English captain. That, does it, does it, you're very surprised by that, Tim. Yeah, because those were the three characters that I thought had no like, relation to each other like, as far as like, who the actor was. Like, I was like, oh, no, there's no way that one actor is playing all three of these characters. And it's got to be like... One of the uh, grumpier kind of like pretty impressive guys. Huh? Yeah, that's why. Yeah, that's why he uh, has a reputation as being one of the great comic character actors of uh, you know the last hundred years. I like that one. Him too, and Eddie it, Murphy. You should see Eddie Murphy in Coming to America. <laughs> I like that too. I'm. I actually. I haven't seen Coming to America at least since I was in like third grade or something. I should watch. Funny. It. Yeah. Funny. Still holds up. Still um, holds up. But I think the thing about Peter Sellers' characters in this thing, it was like, I remember when Eddie Murphy did, like, The Clumps or Nutty Professor, it was like, oh, there he is being, like, a fat woman, and there he is being a farty uncle, or whatever, right, you right. know what I mean? Like, but you, this is, you, like, you, three w- separate, completely separate entities played three completely different ways. Yeah, yeah. like, Eddie Murphy, well, no, I don't know why I'm coming to the defense of coming to America so much, but I would say of his multiple role movies... That's the best one where he sort of loses himself a little bit. But most time, because he's a star, you know, mm-hmm. Peter Sellers is more of a character actor than a star. But a star, you know, they they retain some element of their essence and charisma no matter what. You always know, oh, that's Eddie Murphy underneath that. And he has the same kind of bits. But Peter Sellers will drop that from performance to performance and kind of seamlessly blend in. That's sort of the, the joke about being there, which I know you don't know, Tim, but... It's a movie about a sort of a guy who's a little bit retarded, almost. Mm-hmm. Sorry, not mentally handicapped. <laughs> not editing it out. Okay, we well, will deal with it. You will deal with it at Church Cooper. Uh, sorry, guys. Sorry, <laughs> but he's a little bit uh, mentally handicapped, and he's blank. He's basically he'll say whatever's on TV, and he can go in any situation, and he just has no allegiances, no ideas of his own, and he just sort of goes in any situation picks up generally what they're talking about and just says things. Mm-hmm. And why he they thought that he was so great for that, that's how he kind of was. He didn't really believe anything. He didn't really... He could go in any character and seamlessly blend in because there wasn't really something there. There wasn't mm-hmm. a definable essence of him that made him him other than he could be anybody. Yeah. Um, 
I really, this is my second time watching this movie, and I thought, uh, upon second viewing, uh, the president was probably my favorite of those roles. Yeah. Just because he plays such like a, he's in such a bind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the my favorite part, and the, and the part that I was talking to Josh about, and I want to get your thoughts on it, Tim, my favorite part in the whole movie is the, we've already touched on a little bit, the uh, phone call with the Russian premiere, mm-hmm. which is just him, Peter Sellers, on the phone. It's like three minutes long while he just has a phone conversation and it's essentially just an old school like phone bit you know it's yeah. like like 1960s comedy like bob yeah uh uh newhart yeah bob newhart bob newhart i'm blanking on it. that's what he used to do he used to do phone bits nichols and may used to do phone bits that was a, a staple of the kind of stand-up comedy of the time you pick up a phone you do a, one side of a conversation that's the best phone bit i've ever seen you know mm-hmm. uh while also being about the end of the world Hello, uh, hello, Di- hello, Dimitri. Listen, I-, I can't hear too well. Do you suppose you could turn the music down just a little? Oh, oh that's much better. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, and and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. (laughs) Now then, Dimitri, you know how we've always talked about the possibility of something going wrong with the bomb. The bomb, Dimitri. The hydrogen bomb. Well, now, what happened is um, one of our base commanders he had a sort of well he went a little funny in the head you know just a little funny and uh, he went and did a silly thing well I'll tell you what he did he ordered his planes to attack your country Uh, well let me finish Dimitri let me finish Dimitri well listen how do you think I feel about it can you imagine how I feel about it, Dimitri? Why do you think I'm calling you? Just to say hello? Of course I like to speak to you. Of course I like to say hello. Not now, but any time, Dimitri. I'm just calling up to tell you something terrible has happened. It's a friendly call. Of course it's a friendly call. Listen, if it wasn't friendly, you probably wouldn't have even got it. So what did you think about that bit, Tim? I loved it. Yeah, that was definitely like one of my favorite parts of the movie when he was just having a nice, casual but awkward conversation <laughs> with the Russian premiere. Like that's insane. That's so funny. I think I loved about that, and just in terms of Peter Sellers being a powerhouse too, is like you know that it was just like there's so many people in that room. First of all, yeah. like just just talking about it from like what I know about movie sets. Yes, it's just him on a phone with a bunch of people around. Like. <laughs> It's just him, you know. I yeah, don't know. Yeah. That's a weird. And also, everyone knows that. But <laughs> no, I mean, but with the, I think the point you're kind of making is that when you watch the thing, they keep jumping around to showing different reaction takes, and they'll pop into different takes of him at different angles. Meaning they strung that monologue together from a bunch of different improvised takes, mm-hmm. and they just they like this little bit, and they would cut to reaction shot, and they like this little bit. But 
you know, apparently Sellers was just improvising for hours, you know, mm-hmm. and then Kubrick was behind uh, most of the time. He was his own uh, director of photography. So he's just behind the camera, uh, you know, sometimes underneath him, sometimes aside, just close. And sometimes they said that uh, he would blow takes because he would laugh so hard that the camera would shake, you know. That's funny. Uh, but we all do improv. We all have an improv background. Um it's it really is some of the best improv ever caught on camera, you know. Because totally. the one thing I don't like about some of the Apatow stuff, the improv really takes you out of the Here we movie. Go. <laughs> so, <laughs> he's a fuckhead uh, who never answers. No, um, sometimes the bit is funny. The joke, the line they're saying is a funny line, but it takes you out of the character. It takes you out of the scene. Yeah. It doesn't feel cohesive. Um, a little bit, I feel like. Whereas this, like all the improv that's in there. It's capturing small moments. It's capturing how people actually talk. It's sometimes the subtle absurdity, but it never breaks character. You're never like, oh, that's not what this guy would say. Yeah. And it's all in service of the overall scene, you know? Um, awesome. Yeah, that's actually something I thought about. Like, because um, recently in my improv training, I've been like trying to get into more characters in scenes. And so, like, one thing I've learned is that if you really fully commit, you'll just kind of be it. And then you won't really think about, like, I guess the the third wall of like improv or the fourth wall of improv you're just in that moment so you're just that character being and saying what that character would say so i felt like for this uh you know when he was being the president like i could tell like he wasn't just uh he was improvising but he wasn't um he never thought about like oh like gotta cut after this no he was just going on and on yeah just mm-hmm. that character and just kept going in. and improvising in a way in that character that he wouldn't improvise as dr strangelove or yes. as the as the colonel it's a completely you know he's doing it in a character's voice as the character would think and react you know um yeah cool so one thing that we mentioned before was that uh uh that a lot of the actors in this thing didn't know it was a comedy or just weren't made aware. Like Slim Pickens, is that that guy? Yeah, name? Slim Pickens was the was the like, Colonel Kong, Major or, yeah, Major Kong, Kong, Kong yeah. yeah, who uh, who dropped the bomb and he rides the bomb down the end. He was just a he's like an old cowboy actor. He's in a lot of westerns. I think he even was a country west singer. I think he might. He was in Blazing Saddles. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He was. Yeah, he, he was in the farting scene. <laughs> Tim Chang's just nodding. <laughs> <laughs> That's a podcast for another day. Yeah, we'll go through the work of Mel Brooks. Yeah, seriously. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, I guess the, originally it was supposed to be uh, it was supposed to be Peter Sellers, but uh, he fell off the bomb, mm-hmm. and uh, so they got uh, some pingins, and he didn't know it was a comedy. So they basically cast him because he's kind of inherently ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. He's a caricature of a cowboy. And so, you know, the, the first introduction to him is, you know, when he knows it's the, that there really is that, you know, this plan R that's going to end the world, he gets, goes to a safe and then takes out a cowboy hat. Yeah, puts, puts away his helmet, puts on a cowboy <laughs> hat. I love that's, that. That's the first thing that he does. So, you know, it's, it's a, he's a pretty broad character, but he wasn't aware that he was in a comedy. He thought he was in a serious war movie. And, you know, it's something that Airplane did really well, is cast... Uh, Leslie Nielsen? Yeah, or just Leslie Nielsen at the time, Robert Stack, all those guys mm-hmm. in that movie, they weren't comedic actors. Yeah. They were serious actors, and they played ridiculous things straight. That's why that movie's really funny. That's right. Know? That's like Leslie Nielsen's claim yes. to fame. Yeah. Like Police Squad. And- but all that, that thing came out of, of, you know, of that, you know, that's why that movie worked, is you have, you know, you have over-the-top lines to live in straight. Mm-hmm. And that's what this movie is, is, is really ridiculous situations. And, you know, George C. Scott is pitched really big. You know, as Turgeson, I think he's great. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people are, like, uh, Sterling Hayden plays uh, Jack Ripper. 
and he's uh, he's deadly serious. There's no yeah. winking, you know. Well, we should talk about what George C. Scott thing, which I thought was. Oh pretty yeah, funny, yeah. Which is that. Go ahead. Okay, sure. Uh, that George that George C. Scott was like he's the guy that played the Turgeson or whatever the hell name I can't pronounce. Uh, the guy in the war room, the general in the war room, mm-hmm. and uh, Kubrick would be like. All right, so just give me a big take just for the hell of it or just for fun uh, uh, in, like, rehearsal or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, just be really big. And then uh, he would inevitably use all those takes against George C. Scott's will, and George C. Scott actually was like, that wasn't my performance and didn't like that. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and so that sort of, you know, led me to talk about another Kubrick mo- movie is The Shining. Have you ever seen The Shining? Jack Nicholson? Yeah, Jack Nicholson, yeah. Uh, I've seen clips of it. Okay. Uh, so in the movie, Shelley Duvall plays his wife. And in the movie, she uh, she's like this giant quivering mess who is always on the verge of tears and who uh, realizes her husband wants to kill her and goes insane and uh, and is, co- is always hysterically crying and is always kind of uh, not attractive, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she, it, annoying. Annoying. She's very annoying. Uh, and not filmed well, filmed kind of harshly. Her eyes are always kind of red and uh, her hair is kind of stringy and greasy. It's all purposeful. There's a documentary about uh, about the making of it, and it just shows you that he's Kubrick is just uh, terrorizing her. Yeah, and he's criticizing her constantly, and he's getting her into this state. And he's not directing her into the state; he's getting her into the state. He's yelling at her so that she he she can. That's how he decided that she need that that she could get to where he wanted to get her to. Was to actually was to actually terrorize her, her yeah. until wow. she was destroyed. And that's the kind of, you know, that's the thing about him as a human being is he maybe wasn't the greatest man in the world, <laughs> but he was the biggest control freak. You know, mm-hmm. he, every frame of every one of his movies was exactly how I wanted it to go. And that's why, you know, people still talk about his movies long after he's gone. They'll, they'll talk about them, you know, for many years after we're gone because uh, he cared about every frame, every line of dialogue that was given so much that... Uh, that you can just see it on screen. Yeah. You know? there, there's actually a, a art exhibit at LACMA of all kind of frames of his movies and props and stuff. I want to get down there, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it doesn't surprise me that he basically tricked George C. Scott into giving a huge comic performance. And then never worked with him again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> George C. Scott is a very serious actor. He he would not have done that performance on his own because it's, <laughs> it's, it's like a cartoon, but it's hilarious. Yeah. I mean, he's funny every time he's in there, but, you know, he would have... He would have. It's not really a character he's playing. It's a cartoon, and I'm sure as an actor he wanted to play a character. Yeah, I I think like watching that he's a standout performer. I yeah, mean, all, yeah. Like, Sellers yeah. is obviously great, but like I laugh at just his reactions to things. Yeah, like, when he hangs up the phone with his girlfriend or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, just, like, and he like, looks over at the president. Yeah, he, and, like, like like a weird little boy's almost about to get caught. You <laughs> yeah. Know? Um, uh, point out that big board, like, oh, they're gonna see the big board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that part. Uh, yeah, there's a couple famous lines. That's that's the that's the one, uh, and the other one is, uh, gentlemen, this is the war. You know, there's no fighting. This no is the fighting. war room. Yeah, no that's fighting a, in the war room. <laughs> yeah, that's the other probably classic line from the movie. Um, but Tim, so far, this is this movie's getting a huge pass. I did not expect this reaction of slight enjoyment from you <laughs> i really thought you were gonna hate it really hate when it you really when you when when the black and white thing came up and you got so sad <laughs> i did not anticipate so i want to hear what what turned you off what didn't you like about the movie give it some notes kubrick's right here 
All right, Krubik. Uh, well, you're already off to a bad start. <laughs> He's just left. Let's go. Let's go with Stanley. Let's, let's, uh, <laughs> we're having some trouble with his last name. Uh, man, I don't know. It was it was pretty entertaining, but it was uh, there were some parts where like I got that weren't funny. I can't remember what they were because they were just kind of boring. Like I don't know. Like um, there were some moments where like they just had a lot of dialogue. I just kept going back and forth about, I don't know, something. I don't know. It was really hard to like. Like, which characters bored you? Or do you remember which setups, scenes, anything? <coughs> hmm. I don't know. Like, I can only remember what stood out to me. And then everything else I kind of just blocked off because it was so boring. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, like, maybe that first, that first, like, scene in the airplane when, like, um, they get the order. Mm-hmm. Like, going through like the logistics of like oh wait are you sure it's this and like there were some funny moments but like that kind of went on for a little bit too long like it's like yeah like it's because we i guess because we the audience like we see it like that's the the prefix that they got was correct so when that guy just kept saying are you sure are you sure like i, I thought that was kind of irritating because i was like yeah just fucking check like <laughs> let's go over there already so when he finally went there it's like oh you like yeah, we can get past this already. Someone <laughs> um. <laughs> argue that that's uh, showing those pilots dealing with yeah. what we might call the unusual thing. <laughs> <And> right, <laughs> right. I mean, like, of course, yeah, deal with it. But I, thought, I just felt like that went on a little bit too long. Okay, okay. I, Stanley's nodding. He's uh, accepted that. <laughs> yeah, note. yeah. We got it. That's one note. You got, you got yeah. another? But it's not. It's not like a big thing. It's just something. I was like, was, uh, yeah, let's get past this. Um, what else? What what separates this from I don't know say Dark Knight Rises Spider Man? <laughs> oh man, you want to go there, huh? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, Dark Knight Rises like it had a it had a lot of good action. I thought like this one was yes, there was like we saw those like army dudes shooting around and stuff like that, but it felt like there weren't. There were there were like no stakes. I felt like because you just kind of saw him. Shoot Other than around. the end of the world, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like at that moment, at that moment where they were just shooting at, you know, their their own guys, right? I mean, like because they told them not to, they couldn't get into the base. General yeah. Ripper told them to shoot at anybody who came into the base. Yeah. So, so it was it was literally Americans versus Americans. Yeah. So I guess when I saw that, I was like, in an right. effort to get a code that would disarm or that would take yeah. back the nuclear. Yeah. Bomb command. Yeah. yeah, but I guess there could be more stakes. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't I mean, like, like the fate of Gotham, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's yeah, you know, like, see. See, in Dark Knight Rises, everything like every action moment, like our sequence, had like some sort of stakes. Like that one was just like it just kind of was there. I guess to like show that it's going, it's happening. Like, yeah, they were coming for like because because I felt like because we knew there was like different things going on, and they were obviously trying to like you know stop the uh, you know the plans from going to Russia. But like so, so even when the when those guys came, like I already knew that they're not gonna make it there. So I guess why even? They did them? though. They did. Yeah. They, 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 oh yeah. But the, the, like the um, the army guys coming into the base trying to stop them. Like I knew in my mind. I guess I thought I was like, oh, they're not gonna make it there until maybe the end. And, and by then, it won't, may not even matter because they're gonna find. They're just gonna find another way to stop it. Gotcha. If that makes any sense at all. Kind of. So you, I mean, you're just a little bored by it. What I was saying yeah. earlier is, like, what I love about that scene is, like, that's a scene I could tell was part of the first, like, pass at making, like, a, not a dramatic story, but, like, a non-comedic story. Right. It's like, having Americans fighting Americans is, like, I'd say a pretty big 
dramatic step or i don't yeah, know yeah or, like, or just or just show that you know the people who are you know the ripper's men who are firing on the soldiers it shows how much they were brainwashed you know or how much mm. they've given over their control over who they're going to decide to kill and who they're not you know they're they're looking at people in their uniforms and their army and they're still shooting them because someone told them they were bad you know mm-hmm. right um but i, I think I'm, i think i might have got a clue into guess, the mind of tim yeah. chang a little bit i guess mm-hmm. my issue is just like all right there wasn't enough like t- there were there wasn't like enough clash, I guess. Not enough like actually. You wanted you wanted because okay, yeah, I want to see them actually kill each other. You want you like, want to see some really sweet action like in the Dark yeah. Knight Rises. Yeah. So that okay, so it's like because Dark Knight Rises does have a lot of and Dark Knight too. All the Batman movies have a lot of scenes of you know philosophical arguments that people are having in a scene. Mm-hmm. So it does have a sort of ideas are being talked about weighty themes which Tim Chang's on board with. You just have to have in between those some kick-ass fights. Yeah, just kind of like because what we saw was just them shooting at basically nothing. I mean, we know they were shooting at someone else, but they weren't. In, they weren't. Yeah. yeah, they weren't filmed in a very visceral. They're sort of filmed like handheld in the weeds, sort of like a like a newsreel, like mm-hmm. old-fashioned yeah. news, like like if you like old footage of World War Two is sort of what it looked like. Right. But that but that didn't that didn't do it for you. Yeah. I feel like that could have been just a budget thing too. I think there was a budget thing, and I also think going back to why they shot in black and white, I think it was to show viewers of that time would associate that with more realism. It's sort of like mm-hmm. how in the Bourne movies they do the shaky cam. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, it's yeah, it's because it's more real if it's handheld and if it feels, you know. So it's kind of had that same uh, that same sort of look to it. Yeah. But but that. Tim, that, that yeah. doesn't do it for you. You Bad want action scene. You want basically. yeah. You you want something. You want it well lit. You want yeah. it like a cool kind of like punch and block like Bane yeah, and Batman yeah. in the sewer, <laughs> where where the philosophical arguments of the two people are being waged against each other with their fists or their guns. Yeah, or their guns. But <laughs> yeah, Batman doesn't use guns. That's right. Uh, yeah, basically, I guess so. All right. Okay. Yeah. Anything else? What else? Stanley reluctantly take, took that note. Uh, <laughs> he, he wanted. Yeah. To, it is 1963. <laughs> <laughs> he could have shown the, the other The side. modern action film hasn't quite been invented yet. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a bit, but he'll still take that note. Keep going, Tim. We're on a roll. All right. What else? Uh, like, I mean... How, how um, to improve it. How to improve it. <laughs> Get it in color, I guess. <laughs> Get it in color. I, mean, I would have loved to see like the war room in color. You know, like I would have loved to see. But you like, don't think it looks cool in black and white with all the looks- shadows and the way the so the light kind of because you can do more interesting things with lighting in black and white because there's more gradients and mm-hmm. it's too easy, man. Too easy. <laughs> too easy. If you get it in color, you gotta really work at it. <laughs> Stanley. All right, now you're just making stuff. Um, what did you think of Doctor Strange of? The character. Oh, I was yeah. kind of wondering why he came in really late. He came yeah. in really late in the movie. I was like, yeah, I guess like halfway through the movie, I was like, where is this? Who is this Doctor Strangelove guy? Because I haven't seen him yet. And then when he finally came out, I was like, oh, okay. Like, so this guy, what does he do again? Like, <laughs> well, uh, he's just the mastermind. Kind yeah, of. yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the historical sort of uh, people he's based on. We there's a guy named Werner von Braun mm-hmm. who uh, was the sort of godfather of our uh, of nasa and our he was a nazi scientist mm-hmm. who um uh pioneered their like v2 rockets they were the first sort of government agency the nazis that really sort of invested money in rocketry and uh Werner von braun was really into that and he was into space exploration but you know he was using their rockets as, you know that they would fly into uh 
uh, England mm-hmm. and to terrorize the English. Uh, they were using his weapons, but he really wanted to use it as a space program, so he defected after the war into the United States. And then, um, you know, use, they used their missiles, rocket technology, for weapons, but they also used it for spatial exploration, which was his main passion. But he did make a lot of weapons for the Nazis, <laughs> and he did make a lot of weapons for the, for the United States. And so... Um, and there were other sort of people who it's, it's like an amalgamation of different characters. But basically, the idea is a a thinker who's insane. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a crazy person, but he is a brilliant at building bombs and theorizing destruction. And that we got him from the Nazis, and now he's ours. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah, that he keeps- he's the sort of you know he's the id, he's the uh, you know the the devil on your shoulder that you know tells you to do the bad things and he's a crazy person but because you think you need him you keep him around our doomsday scheme cost us just a small fraction of what we've been spending on defense in a single year but the deciding factor was when we learned that your country was working along similar lines and we were afraid of a doomsday gap this is preposterous i've never approved of anything like that our source was the new york times dr strangelove do we have anything like that in the works? A moment, please, Mr. President. Under the authority granted me as Director of Weapons Research and Development, I commissioned last year a study of this project by the Bland Corporation. Based on the findings of the report, my conclusion was that this idea was not a practical deterrent, for reasons which at this moment must be all too obvious. Then you mean it is possible for them to have built such a thing? <laughs> Mr. President, the technology required is easily within the means of even the smallest nuclear power. It requires only the will to do so. But. How is it possible for this thing to be triggered automatically and at the same time impossible to untrigger? Mr. President, it is not only possible, it is essential. That is the whole idea of this machine, you know. Deterrence is the art of producing in the mind of the enemy the fear to attack. And so, because of the automated and irrevocable decision-making process which rules out human meddling, the doomsday machine is terrifying. It's simple to understand and completely credible and convincing. Gee, I wish we had one of them doomsday machines, Daisy. The whole point of the doomsday machine is lost. If you keep it a secret, why didn't you tell the world, eh? It was to be announced at the party congress on Monday. As you know, the premier loves surprises. He's the biggest, broadest, craziest character because what the, you know, the philosophy he's espousing is the craziest, but it's also a philosophy that a lot of people high up in the government at the time believed in, which was, you know, the war of mutually assured destruction. And if we both launched how we could maintain some sort of advantage, planning eventualities of nuclear conflict, which is crazy. Yeah, that makes sense to me because I was wondering, like, why was the movie named after him? And also, I remember the first time I watched it, it was like the Nazi thing was like kind of out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like very, because of Mein Fuhrer. Uh, um, but I guess that does make sense. How I love, learned to love the bomb is just like 
They literally turned to him like, and now? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dr. Strangelove, what do we do next? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, after the war, it was kind of a race. Anyone who uh, wasn't super high up, well, anyone who wasn't a visible member of the Nazi party, uh, but was a scientist, the United States and the Russians kind of fought for. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, you want the best minds. Because, you know, after World War II, it immediately became apparent that it was going to be a competition between the United States and Russia for the you know, 20th century. So so they started snatching all the scientists they could. Uh, you know, So there's a historical element to why the movie ends with him saying, Mind Fuhrer, I can walk, and saluting him with a Nazi salute <laughs> um, to the president. Uh, well, it's also just a weird, funny bit. Like, all that shit, everything he said almost, other than, the, like, the the very specifics of, you know, uh, of what a nuclear thought would be like and what the mine shaft, those are, like, you know, real things that were from real reports. But all the mine fury stuff, all the biting his hand, that was all just sellers going crazy. I wish he could have been in it a little bit more. Like, I feel like he came in a little late. Uh, he didn't stick out to me as much because he came in so late and I kind of like at that point I was already invested in the other characters mm-hmm. so when he came in I was like oh alright so that's strange strange love huh that's uh that's pretty cool I guess <laughs> <laughs> like, he kind of he was kind of like uh, the uh, Talia from Dark Knight Rises like came a little too late to be like the villain <laughs> I already liked Bane a lot you know like, Nolan's also getting some free criticism <laughs> I just yeah. like I did not anticipate one I didn't anticipate how much Tim was gonna like the movie yeah a qualified kind of uh-huh. uh, but then I didn't anticipate how much we were gonna be comparing the movie to Dark Knight Rises <laughs> you gotta just hit him with what he knows yeah. <laughs> well uh, I had a lot of fun today I thought this was a good one yeah um, um, uh, any last thoughts Tim Chang Doctor Strangelove. Yeah, what do you What do you give it? You got to rate it something. What do you like? What uh, atomic bombs? That's what we'll rate it. <laughs> One out of ten atomic bombs. Seven. Woo! So that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I got to yeah. say that that beat that blew the Beatles and Seinfeld out of the water. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was unexpected. I I would think this this is much more. Uh, an acquired taste in either of those movies, mm-hmm. but I'm very happy that Tim liked it as much as he did, and uh, I'm gonna give it 10 out of 10 atomic bombs if Whoa. I can. Yeah, please, because uh, I enjoy I enjoy that movie. I enjoyed it more the second time than the first time. Picked up on some stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. I would say you know most of the Kubrick movies, the, that's why they sort of age well. Is every time you watch them, you pick up on something else. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, thank you so much for being here, Joel. Thanks for for having me, guys. Uh, it's been a pleasure, and uh, you know, I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we had uh, doing it. Yeah, great. And uh, you can uh, check out Joel Church Cooper on Twitter at, at Church Cooper. Check out uh, the new season of uh, Up All Night. We're going to be coming up. back in April. I know we're releasing this, but apparently it's coming back as a multicam sitcom. I don't know what that means. So, is it? But please uh, tune in. And uh, afterwards, when you see me at a bar, I'll fill you in on what happened. <laughs> uh, just any bar. Just check around any town. Bar. I'm, I'm in most bars. Yeah. I'm in most bars at most times. All right, cool. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. That was fun. Uh, listen... We recorded that episode back in 2012, and since then, two things have happened. One, I got a stupid cold, and two, it is now 2013. And in 2013, I am planning on making a lot more of these episodes. So, if you could help me out, subscribe in iTunes, or tell your friends about the show if you like it, or, you know, leave a nice review in the iTunes store, any of that stuff is super helpful. The goal is that one day we'll have listeners that don't know Tim or myself personally, and... 
you will be instrumental in making that happen. The next episode is going to be a great one. We've got Conan writer Brian Stack, and he'll be talking to us about his late great friend, Chris Farley. It's fantastic. Brian's the nicest guy in the world, and I think you're really going to like it. In the meantime, check us out on Facebook and Twitter. You can find all our episodes at theeducationoftimchang.com. And if you've got any questions or comments on the show, you can email those to timchangedu at gmail.com, and I will read them. Thank you so much for listening. I very much appreciate it. I hope you learned something. Bye. So that's strange, strange love, huh? That's uh, that's pretty cool, I guess.